All right, everybody, what's going on? Today we are going to try out a new format. I am going to read you a few short audio essays that I've prepared for you. These will be my most recent thoughts or ideas on philosophy or science or internet culture or, you know, life more broadly, you know, the stuff that I'm interested in. And I'm also going to mix into that some news and updates about what's going on under the hood of the Other Life Project and my own life because we got a lot of really cool things going on and I know it's hard for people to follow. So I really wanted to, you know, create an, an experiment with new formats that really allow me to give you the best of my work, the the stuff that I most believe in, the the deep reading and the deep writing and the deep thinking that all of this is really all about, but also in a way that's really concentrated and useful and stimulating and keeps you up to date on you know the various events and stuff that we have going on that I think a lot of you will want to maybe participate in or at least be aware of. Okay, so in this episode, I'm going to talk to you about how to find frontiers. We're going to talk about Monica Bellavon's theory of COVIDian aesthetics. I'm going to share a little bit about how I think people should listen to podcasts and how I think podcast addiction is actually more of a problem than people realize. I want to share an interesting thought from Nietzsche. I want to tell you a little bit about how I think microdosing works and some recent updates that I've made to my, my perspective on microdosing, especially for creative intellectual work. And I also want to tell you about Based Mansion number two, which is going to happen in Austin, Texas in early November. All right. And by the way, one of the reasons that I'm doing this experimental format is because I've recently decided that I'm going to recommit to really improving and delivering on my Friday newsletter, my curatorial newsletter that I call Signs of Life. I'm going to be putting my best thoughts in there and really putting a lot of effort into making that a really, really interesting and exciting thing to read each week. That's going to be all about philosophy and science on the frontiers of internet culture. So since I'm investing a lot in that and I really want to make it awesome, and I just published the, the first new and improved version a couple days ago, that's actually a perfect basis to use for doing a corresponding podcast where I just basically read to you the stuff in there. So if you want to read this and find links and learn more about everything I talk about, you should definitely subscribe to the to the curatorial newsletter Signs of Life. Just go to otherlife.co and subscribe there. It's all free. Other Life content is for at least the foreseeable future going to be all free now that I have indiethinkers.org, which is, you know, a business. So all right. All right. So first thing, how to find frontiers. I personally really like Philip Monk's framework for operating at the outer edge of what's possible. He asks you to visualize a kind of descending tree structure. So imagine a descending tree diagram where each line is a path of exploration and history in this diagram flows downward. The green circle represents all of the dominant models of the present. The red circles are smaller, weirder competitor models with aspirations to become green. Obviously, if you're listening on the podcast, the colors aren't going to make sense to you. But you can check that out in the newsletter if you want. Or just imagine a descending tree structure. I'll explain the logic to you. He has these blue dots, and he says that the blue dots are what you want to study. And basically, what the blue dots are, are branches of historical exploration that were not taken. So conventional wisdom says that you should prune the branches that are not taken. You should remove them and ignore them, you know. The, the, the possibilities not taken in history, people will tell you that they're quote unquote not Lindy or they've been disproven. 
That's how most people would think about the weird ideas in the past that were tried and rejected. But the unique insight of Monk's model is that, on the contrary, he thinks the greatest reservoirs of alpha or unexploited edge lie hidden among those paths not taken. There's a nice quote from his essay that goes, people claim to be explorers and to love frontiers, but they complain they can't find the next frontier until it's already mainstream. I really like that because I think that's totally true. It's very sexy to say that you're interested in you know the outer edges and the frontiers, but what does it actually look like to do that or to live that way? It means spending a lot of time on really obscure stuff that literally most people just think is dumb and no one wants to do that. So what he says is, Focus on those unexplored paths, but with an eye toward the underpriced formations. Look for the unexplored nodes that seem to coagulate around a larger project, that seem to point in the direction of a larger project, and then go all in on expanding that project. Invest yourself in that project. And incidentally, uh, Philip is actually an engineer at, at for Urbit, for, for Tlon, the, the kind of engineering wing of, of the Urbit project. And... Um, my understanding is that he's kind of one of the most badass engineers on the team. I think he's he's kind of super high-level genius kind of guy in the urban ecosystem. So for him, it seems clear that if you read between the lines, Urbit was his personal decision about the most underpriced and exciting node in that in that tree of unexplored historical possibilities when it comes to what the internet should look like. You can go learn more about Philip Monk and his writings at pcmonk.me. That's pcmonk.me. All right, next I'd like to talk to you about the unreasonably negative effects of podcast listening. The feeling of listening to podcasts approximates the feeling of having original thoughts. As you listen to interesting ideas, not only do you feel that you're learning something, you even feel as if you're coming up with new ideas. And in a sense, you are. The podcast stimulates new idea embryos every minute, but they're aborted just as quickly by the next interesting idea. And that's the problem. Once you put the podcast down, you've forgotten everything, and you certainly haven't created or produced anything. The seemingly edifying habit of podcast listening can, therefore, be harmful, especially for people who love ideas, for these are the people who should be producing ideas. The degree of this social harm might pale in comparison to malaria or lead poisoning, but I suspect it's much worse than people think, since I've never heard anyone talk about it. I really wonder how many brilliant thinkers are not writing because they are addicted to listening. Whereas an addiction to crappy television is self-limiting for high-status people, because it's rightly stigmatized and associated with laziness and poverty, a podcast habit does not include this salutary feature. On the contrary, it's plausible to tell oneself that one is learning and making intellectual progress when, in fact, one is completely outsourcing the task of thinking in every free minute of one's life. So beware the podcast addiction. The simplest solution is to take written notes on any podcast you listen to, especially making sure to write down original ideas that come to you. If you follow through on this, you'll quickly reduce your podcast listening, but you'll get much more from it. You'll also become more discerning about what you listen to. I actually did this a few weeks or months ago, and it actually really worked. The first thing I noticed was that I found myself way more judgmental about what I was going to listen to or not, because if you really force yourself to write down any thoughts you have related to a podcast, 
It just makes listening to podcasts much more effortful. It makes it not so easy. So it automatically very quickly makes you only want to listen to the stuff that's really worthwhile because you're going to have to be writing about it. So you bet you, you really want to make it count. And I thought that was a really interesting lesson that I learned uh, about basically just how much junk I was really listening to for, for quite a while. So yeah, I found that that worked. All right. So next up, I just want to remind people that every Tuesday morning we do a free and totally open work session. This is hosted by Indie Thinkers, but it's, it's totally free to anyone who listens to this podcast. And it's basically just for people who want to improve their output when it comes to writing or whatever your creative projects are, and who also want to meet some other writers, hackers, and artists kind of in my, in my orbit. So yeah, totally free. All you have to do is just drop your email to get the Zoom link. And again, you can just check that at the, the, the newsletter corresponding to this podcast at otherlife.co. Shouldn't be hard to find. Or actually, I can put a link just to that specifically in the podcast show notes. No problem. All right, so next I have a little memo, a little note for the best concealed, strongest, most intrepid, most midnightly men. And this comes from Mr. Nietzsche. This world, a monster of energy, without beginning, without end, a firm iron magnitude of forces that does not grow bigger or smaller, that does not expend itself, but only transforms itself with tremendous years of recurrence, with an ebb and a flood of its forms, out of the simplest forms striving toward the most complex. Then again, returning home to the simple out of this abundance, out of the play of contradictions back to the joy of concord, still affirming itself in this uniformity of its courses and its years, blessing itself as that which must return eternally, as a becoming that knows no satiety, no disgust, no wariness. This, my Dionysian world of the eternally self-creating, the eternally self-destroying, this mystery world of the twofold voluptuous delight, my beyond good and evil, without goal, unless the joy of the circle is itself a goal. Do you want a name for this world? A solution for all its riddles? A light for you, too? You best concealed, strongest, most intrepid, most midnightly men? This world is the will to power, and nothing besides, and you yourselves are also this will to power, and nothing besides. That's Nietzsche from The Will to Power. I got that from Crypt on Twitter. Shout out to Crypt. That's cryptoculture.com. It's actually cryptoculture.com. Spelled a little funny. All right. He's referring to the occult. Next up. I want to talk to you about Monica Bellavon's Spenglerian theory of Covidian aesthetics. So we just had Monica on the podcast. She's super cool, really interesting. And I just want to read to you a specific clip that I thought was particularly fascinating. She's a Peruvian theorist, uh, a Peruvian theorist, by the way. Her substack is called Covidian Aesthetics. And uh, she's very approachable and cool. You, you should reach out to her if you find her work interesting. So I asked her, you told me the other day that you think we're at the end of a Spenglerian period. I wonder if you could explain that for me. And she said, history cycles like an animal, like an organism. This is also treading Bataillian territory. And so, and so we're at the end of a civilization that's cresting and crashing, and COVID has helped give it the oomph to cross over. And there's going to be this convergence of culture tissue that starts to dissociate itself from the rotting corpse of the previous. The thing is, we're in that moment of deep overlap, and we feel that at this point. I tweeted some days ago that Delta was the reality splitter. It's even in the name. This is the one that makes the fork. 
and we can see that kind of happening. Alpha brought the chaos, but Delta makes the fork. COVID itself has its own periodicity, its own stages, its own phasing. It's a very interesting phenomenon. So shout out to Monica. I think her NFT sale went really well, by the way. So I, I'm really happy for her. Okay, so in other news, uh, some good news here. I recently received a generous grant from the Edgeware Agency. Edgeware is a blockchain in the Polkadot ecosystem to help me finish my second book, which is currently provisionally entitled Exit Theory. The book is going to collect and extend a few of the ideas I've developed over the past few years on the theme of exit from institutions. So thanks to this grant, I'm now able to shift my focus to that book uh, more or less full-time over the next few weeks while Grant Dever runs IndieThinkers. Grant is a really good, you know, ambitious young guy who I met through IndieThinkers. He kind of came up through the community. Uh, he runs a newsletter called Seeking Tribe, and he's just a young, hungry, cool dude who really gets what I'm doing and really, really likes the mission and really wants to work hard to help IndieThinkers become bigger and better. And that's perfect because I'm frankly just totally burned out from from running it. I'm sick of, of building a business. I'm sick of uh, managing you know, admin and business operations, it's, it's really grueling. And I think I've got it just to the level of profitability that I can afford to pay him. Now I'm kind of not making a lot of money from it. So things are a bit tight, but whatever the point is, I think it's going to work out. Um, it's, it's, it's growing. And I'm just so happy that I have a good person who I trust who can basically take charge of that at least for a few months while I can focus on writing. And yeah, so um, I'm very grateful to the Edgeware agency for this, for this grant. Um, DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations are already starting to replace traditional funding bodies. And it seems that the Edgeware agency in particular kind of wants to be like a PBS or a BBC of creative intellectual work. So when I came across them and, and learned about, you know, what they're trying to do, it, that obviously just resonates with me deeply and everything I'm doing. So uh, it's just a good fit and I'm very grateful for their support and I'm excited to see where it goes. So in the coming weeks, I'll be, you know, testing out their technology and using their using some of their stuff and you know talking about it so stay tuned for that um, and if you want to reach out to them or learn more about what they're doing uh, maybe you're interested in your own grant or something like this you can you know either reply to me or, and i'll connect you or you can go say hello in their discord if you want to uh, i'll put a link in that you know in the show notes as well so i'm very happy about that and shout out to the edgeware agency uh, really, really like what they're doing and happy to participate it's really going to be instrumental for me to just focus for a, a, at least um, you know a, a month or two to just try to write this book. All right, another bit of news, a big event coming up. We are going to do Based Mansion round two. If you remember about a year ago, I did this in LA. I rented a mansion for a weekend and invited people from the internet to come stay for a weekend. It was amazing. And that's not even me just saying that, like literally multiple people who went to it told me in no uncertain terms, like Justin, this was one of the weirdest, coolest things I've ever done. So I took that very seriously and I knew I would need to do it again since, since it's so cool and people like it so much. So the pandemic was obviously a blocker, but now we're at a place where I think we can pull it off. So if you want to come to Austin, Texas and hang out for a weekend, I am renting a mansion. I've already booked it and it's going to be on November 5th to the 7th. So that's a Friday to a Sunday. And yeah, it's pretty much specifically for, you know, what I call in, the indie thinker types, people who are working on independent intellectual or creative projects outside of institutions, or, you know, if you're inside of an institution, but, you know, you're really 
interested in the outsider you have one foot out in some way or another even if it's just emotionally or psychologically so yeah to learn more about the concept and uh read a review of base mansion la and to express your interest uh i'll put a link in the show notes i just need you to rsvp i need you to tell me like what level of involvement you want to be whether if you're in austin you won't need a room if you're trying to come here and you would like a room in the house um you know there's only going to be so many spaces so i have to kind of figure it all out but i've made a little a little rsvp form where you can express your preference get on the list and i will i will reply to you personally um about you know how we can how we can fit you in and i'll do my best to to fit everyone in uh to the best of my ability might not be able to get everyone in but that's why you should just rsvp now rather than later so all right i'm pumped a little a little it's hard it's like these types of things are, are quite organizational challenges so on you know on the real i'm a little you know i'm a little frazzled it's uh, I'm, I'm a little burned out so it this is going to be a kind of another another serious challenge, but I'm 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 excited and it's going to be it's going to be awesome for sure. So we have a lot of badasses here in Austin, locals who will be joining for sure as well. So check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes, and I hope to see some of you. All right. So finally, I want to talk to you about how I think microdosing psychedelics works. In a recent episode of the Other Life podcast, you might have heard it. Brom Rector, who's an investor in the psychedelic industry, suggested to me that microdosing is actually overhyped and might, in fact, be more harmful than people think. He said that microdosing just makes you a little bit happier, really. And then people rationalize it by saying that it makes them more productive, more creative, etc. And, you know, I microdosed last week, just a few days ago. And I have to admit, honestly, Brom's comments really changed my interpretation of that day. And having thought about it, I think he's right. I probably have over-celebrated this practice somewhat naively, but then again, I got to thinking about it, and I think that increasing happiness, even if all microdosing does is increase happiness, that may be an indirect productivity booster. And these, this was my experience the other day, so I want to just tell you a little bit about it. My view is that if you work too hard for too long, you can start to hate life, which then makes you unproductive you can forget what you're working for. You maybe get stuck in the weeds of trivial tasks, so you get miserable, which makes you lazy and inefficient. This might sound obvious, but the thing is that it invades you invisibly, surreptitiously. It's impossible to escape with your own willpower, precisely because it's your willpower that got you stuck there. Disciplined people can be too disciplined to cut loose to the point of harming the ROI of their discipline. Even if it only marginally increases happiness, I think microdosing can have a positive productivity effect for this type of person, for this kind of ambitious person who can overwork and, and grind themselves down. When I grind myself down through hard work to the point that I'm feeling down and unmotivated and uncreative, to be perfectly honest, like, I, like I've been feeling in, in the, few week, the few past weeks uh, until recently, now, now that I'm focusing on the content and the newsletter and and doing creative experiments like this, I'm way happier now. So I definitely turned the corner, but I was in a bit of a funk. Um, and when I'm feeling down and unmotivated, uncreative like that, one day of marginally elevated happiness via microdosing can totally refill my interest in life and my motivation to continue working hard. By reminding oneself that life is indeed fun and interesting, it makes all the hard work feel worthwhile. It breathes energy and confidence into the larger narratives of my life simply by bumping up my happiness a little bit. And I always promptly redouble my commitment to not overworking after I have this kind of, you know, escape day. I don't always follow through on that commitment to not overworking. 
but I do for some time at least. And even if it only gives me a temporary kind of balance and commitment to avoid overworking, that alone is pretty valuable, at least for someone like me. Some research suggests that microdosing increases creativity. I linked to two studies. There is some good research that suggests that. And perhaps this is because it makes drawing new connections fun rather than taxing. Like when you're burned out, you kind of just like don't even want to think about interesting stuff. Even that is like too tiring. It's not fun enough. The, the, the immediate reward of just doing the thinking is not great enough. And I think microdosing basically can provide that. Andrew Huberman says that testosterone makes effort feel good. Well, perhaps microdosing LSD just makes thinking feel good. All right, so that's all for today. I would love, love, love to hear what you thought about this. Was this fun to listen to, uh, or did you hate it? Was was it dumb? Would you know? Please, you know, drop me a message, email me, or uh, hit me up on on Twitter, or leave a review on on Apple Podcasts. In fact, that's that's best if you uh, really liked this. <laughs> you know, if you really hated it, maybe just uh, send me a message on on the on the on the lowdown. But um, if you like this, please, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the best way you can help uh, the podcast. All right. So I'd love to hear from you either way. Let me know what you think. And um, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for, you know, sticking with me through the years. You know, I know this podcast, it's had its ups and downs and uh, some periods of relative inactivity, some periods of more activity. And uh, the fact that you're still listening to this, especially you're here at the end. If you're at the end of this podcast, you're seriously one of my OGs. And I'm honestly so grateful. And I'm so, so pumped uh, for the next year. I, I've really worked so hard to build this kind of business operation on the back end to sustain everything that I'm doing. And now I can focus on other life. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly pretty confident I have a few things kind of in the works. I think the next um, year of interviews are going to be epic. I think the next year of, of writing that I'm going to do is going to be epic. And I've really just kind of organized and refined the brand and the mission um, really, really well, I think, in a way that I'm very proud of and very confident in. And I'm just so grateful that you've, uh, you know, stuck with me through the ups and downs when maybe I wasn't posting that much, or maybe stuff was kind of weird, or it was kind of hard to know what I was all about. You know, the fact that you've just been paying attention and you're still here, it's awesome. Like, I, I really can't express, you know, how grateful I am. And I would love to hear from you, reach out personally, however you want. Um, yeah, this was fun to do. So, um, I feel like it was probably worthwhile. And, and like I said, I'm going to keep focusing on the writing. So this makes sense as a kind of audio way of um, extending that and sharing that with more people. All right, everyone, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I will see you on the other side. Later.